So we are in this series on community. We've called Necessary Connections, what the community means, the importance of it, the fact that it's not a smorgasbord that we just come and pick and choose the things we like, but like a family, we do this thing together. The church is called the Bride of Christ. It's his idea. It's his gathering of people together. And we've been using different stories to introduce these sermons, and today, I want you to listen to Bradley Downing as he introduces our message. Hi, my name is Bradley Downing, and I've been coming to the chapel for almost four years. So right after my salvation happened back in November uh, of 2011, I shared the good news with my aunt who lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And right after that, she was getting into discussion with the fact that her niece, uh, when she comes to town, takes her to a church. And she told me that that church had an online campus. Um, I wasn't really that understanding of what that even meant at the time, but I knew I wasn't really comfortable with going to a a church yet. Um, So that did sound a little bit more inviting than originally going to a church. So I hook up the computer to the the TV, um, and I almost felt like I was there, and just try to connect with the people that were on there. That was something I did right at the very beginning. I was just saying, hi, how are you doing? Just responding to the people who had greeted me. Shortly after that, after I got it, my mother got it when I brought her here for the first time. And then only five weeks after that, my dad understood the gospel. It brought us closer together. On the very first day when we came into the church, uh, December 18th, 2011, Pastor Ron was preaching on, I believe it was something with forgiveness. So there was a moment of forgiveness in in the sermon. I'm sitting next to my mother and she's bawling the entire service. It was later in that day that we talked about it that she understood the gospel when it was shared. And that was the day that she got saved was our actual first day here, which was because of the online campus opening up our hearts to to come here and not be so intimidated by the entire experience. Yeah. That's a great story. We appreciate all who uh, are involved in our online campus and uh, for those online. If you want to get involved in a church in your area, we are happy to help you do that. We love you joining us and we ask and pray that you really get into a community where where you can uh, touch people and feel people and interact with people in in the necessary connection of community. Father, we thank you for the story we've heard from Bradley. We thank you for all of those who join online. And we thank you, Lord, for all of us here in the South Hills campus and the Wilkinsburg campus in Washington and in Robinson. We thank you, Father, for the things that you do in our life. Some things are extremely exciting and joyful. Some things are challenging and stretching. But you use them all, not wasting a minute of our time create us, to make us, to mold us into that person you desire us to be. We thank you, Father, for your name and the study that will be commencing in January. In passage, one passage, you say your name is beyond understanding. You are above us and beyond us. How majestic, the psalmist says, is your name above the earth. And yet you desire to know us personally so much so that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on a cross so that we can have an eternal relationship with you. And Father, we pray today that every person here leaves this building knowing where they stand with you. And if anyone here 
has not trusted in Jesus Christ alone is the only way to have a relationship with you, I pray today is the day that you bring them to yourself. Do your work in our hearts, we pray. We've come together, interacted together, and now in all our campuses, we want to pray together as your Son, our Savior, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So after Jesus came to earth, his first advent, his first coming, he died on a cross, and then he rose again from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, he appeared for a period of 40 days on earth. You remember, he appeared to Mary in the garden right after his resurrection, and then to Peter, and then to the disciples. He appeared to two men as they were walking together on a road to a city called Emmaus. And then Paul says that he appeared to 500 people at the same time. Luke says that he showed himself to these people and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive, that indeed he had been risen from the grave. Now, those who saw him alive had an idea in their mind of what was going to happen. They thought that Jesus was going to establish his earthly kingdom at that time. They wanted Israel to be the theocracy it had once been under the rule of David and under the rule of Solomon when the kings and queens of the earth went and checked out this magnificent kingdom. They thought he was going to establish his kingdom on earth. And so in Acts chapter 1, someone asks him in the crowd, Acts chapter 1, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? When are you going to establish your kingdom on this earth? In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says this, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times and dates of the Father has set by his own authority, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and on all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then something happened that those watching were not ready for. Look at verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. The ascension. He was taken up. He left them, and a cloud hid him from their eyes. Look at verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky, wondering what in the world was going on, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, uh, they said. Why do you stand looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now from that day till this, Christians around the world have been waiting on that promise that the same Jesus who was taken into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. From the early believers until now, 
Christians, live with this promise. And most Christians believe that Christ will come again. Most believe in their lifetime. Every Christian should live as if this were the last generation. Now, some have said that happened 2,000 years ago. Why is it taking so long? In fact, maybe since it's taking so long, we didn't get the full story and Jesus isn't coming back. That's what some people thought in 68 AD when Peter addressed this, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But don't forget one thing, dear friends, he said, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promises. He will fulfill his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. To the Lord, a day is like a thousand years in his eternal mind that is not linear like ours. It doesn't think in minutes and hours and days. One day to us is like a thousand years to him, and a thousand years are like one day. 20 years before Peter wrote this, there were a group of believers in a city in Greece called Thessalonica. It was a beautiful city of its day. It's a beautiful city today. And here are some pictures of what the city would have looked like during the days of Paul when this letter was written. The people in Thessalonica were convinced that Jesus was going to return during their lifetime. They believed that they were living in the last days and Jesus would return any day, at any time. But then something very confusing happened. Some of the believers started to die. Now they were thinking, we get it, if we're alive when Jesus comes... We we know we'll go be with him. But what about the believers who die? Are they going to miss out on Christ's return? Do do they just cease to be a, a philosophy called annihilism? When you're dead, you're done. Do do what happens to them when they die? And are these poor souls not going to experience the eternity that we are? So Paul didn't want them to be confused. When he wrote his letter to them, he addressed this subject. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Amazing passage of Scripture. First of all, in chapter 5, Paul says, Brothers, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. For those who are not ready, for those who are not prepared, for those who are not expectant that Christ is going to return, for those who don't live with that expectation and that readiness, Jesus is going to return, and it's going to be like a robber coming in the middle of the night. Verse 3, while people are saying peace and safety, everything's good, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. For you all know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
The day of the Lord here in Scripture is referring to the culmination of all things, the coming of the new heavens and new earth. Sometimes it's called the day of redemption in Ephesians. Sometimes it's called the day of God. Sometimes it's called the day of Christ. Sometimes it's called the last day. Sometimes it's called the great day. Sometimes it's just called the day. But every reference refers to that culmination, that day of the Lord that will bring both great blessing to those who know Jesus and and indescribable wrath to those who don't. Now, certainly there will be signs, and Jesus gives us some of those signs, as does the book of Revelation. All Christians should be expectant and should be ready. Again, every generation should live as if they were the last. And believers are ready. But Paul says, for those who are not expecting, it will come like a, like a thief in the night. Now, back to that question of the Thessalonians, what in the world's going to happen to the people who die? Paul wants to address that, and he does in verse 13. He says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Paul here is straightforward. We don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be confused. We want you to clearly understand what happens to those believers when they die. And notice that Paul uses the term fall asleep. Throughout Scripture, when a believer dies, they are often described as having fallen asleep. That's what Jesus does in John chapter 11 when he's talking about Lazarus. Remember the story. Our friend Lazarus, he tells his disciples, has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural death. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I love that passage. Jesus said, oh my goodness. He's not asleep. He is dead. We're going to go raise him from the dead. Paul here is not talking about soul sleep when he talks about someone falling asleep. The believer who dies does not fall into some state of pause but he's speaking about the believer's body. The, the work of the body is finished for the time being. The body is at rest from its labor. The body is at rest from its pain. It has fallen asleep. In fact, that's a cemetery. The word cemetery means a sleeping place. But that sleep or rest is just for the stillness of the body. I want you to hear that. That stillness or rest is just for the body. Scripture is clear. When we die, our souls, the part of us that move us, our thinking, our hearts, our emotions, our decision-making, the part that we know, our personality, our souls, the moment we die, absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Let me give you some passages for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. Therefore, we are confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer, and would prefer to be away from the body. And what? At home with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. For me, 
Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, absent from the body, present with the Lord, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain right now in the body. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10. He died for us, Jesus died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are alive or dead, we may live together with him. Death cannot separate us from Christ. We are in him. There is no purgatory. You don't have to pray someone into heaven. The moment a believer, Jesus has done all the work. The moment a believer dies, that instant they are with the Lord. And that's why Paul says, we grieve, but we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Hope here does not mean a wish or desire, like I really wish it snows on Christmas Eve because I always like a white Christmas. Hope here is a certainty. This is what we know. We grieve, we miss a person, we miss being with them, we miss that relationship. Naturally, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope of eternal life, who have no confidence of eternal life. Now look at verse 14. Paul kind of expounds on on that truth. How do you know for sure that you're going to live forever? How do you know for sure that we're going to be with God in heaven? Look what he says in verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Thessalonians, do you believe that? Well, they would say, for sure. We know that. That's That's a fact. We have no doubt. In fact, it's possible that some of the church in Thessalonica could have seen the risen Lord. We know that. So Paul says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, a couple things here. One, if Jesus is going to bring those back with him who have fallen asleep, then where do they have to be? With him. If he's going to bring them back when he returns, then they have to be with him now. Another passage that reminds us, absent from the body, present with the Lord. When Jesus came the first time, He came uh, in this little village of Bethlehem, and only some shepherds knew that he was born. But when he comes the next time, no one's going to miss it. It is going to be extremely noisy. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Here's what's going to happen when the Lord comes back. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Three things are going to happen almost simultaneously. This loud command, whether that's from Jesus or the archangel, we don't know. The archangel, for sure, is going to say something. Michael is the only archangel mentioned in Scripture. And there's going to be trumpets blasting through heaven. It's going to be noisy, and it's going to be loud. But on that day, 
No believer will complain about the volume of worship. That's going to be a really good day. (laughs) Jesus is going to split open the clouds, and then it gets really cool. Look at verse 15. According to the Lord's own words, we don't have this recorded from Jesus in the gospel, so Paul's saying, Jesus gave this to me. This is revelation that he has given me. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So let's just think about what's going to happen here. The person who has fallen asleep, their body is laid to rest. Their body is in the ground or at sea or wherever. Their souls are with Jesus in heaven. And when he comes again, he is going to bring with him those who have died. The believer, as soon as they die, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Their bodies, those who have died, are going to be raised from the grave. And they're going to have resurrected bodies. And their bodies are going to meet their souls in the air and there forever be with the Lord. They are going to rise from the grave, their bodies, resurrected bodies, meet their souls in the air, and there be with the Lord. You say, okay, wait a second. Not to be gruesome. But a body in the ground decays, right? And some people are cremated. And some people are burned in their death. What about ashes that have been thrown to the wind? What about Christians who have died at sea? Well, there have been those who ask those questions. These are not new questions. And the question that the people were asking is, how how are they going to be raised from the dead? What will these new resurrected bodies look like? Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want a great study on what your resurrected, our resurrected body is going to look like, just study Jesus those 40 days after he rose from the dead. Remember? Sometimes he just appeared in a room. He vanished from their sight. He was able to move around. He still, they could still see his scars, but he had this resurrected body. We're not the first who asked uh, these questions in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body uh, will, will they come in? And Paul says, how foolish, he says in the NIV translation, how foolish, don't you know that, that when you plant a seed in the ground, it, it comes up to life. And he uses that analogy. When, when the body has been planted in the ground, it's going to be raised to this, this new life. He says this in verse 44, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life giving spirit. The spiritual does not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual, the first man 
was of the dust of the earth and the second man. Who's the second man, by the way? Who's the second Adam? Jesus. Second man came from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of earth. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born in the likeness of the human, of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man of heaven. You, Paul says, you want to know what your resurrected body is going to look like? Just look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, who is the one who takes us, who is the one who redeems us, and who is the one who will take that resurrected body and take it home to heaven. Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse uh, 15. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive who wait till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And so their bodies are going to be raised from the dead. Now, how is that going to happen? Again, what about the bodies that have been decayed? What, someone asked me, uh, what about the organ donors? You're going to have to live forever without your whatever. You're going to be fine, I promise. You're going to be fine. First Corinthians Verse 15 says this, Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the dead, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, and when the perishable has clothed itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying will be, that is written will come true, death has what? So it's swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Well, the sting of death, Paul says, is sin. That's the penalty of, of our sin and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See the beauty of knowing that you are a believer. <clears throat> the beauty and power of knowing that you are a believer is this, death cannot touch you. Just as you are in Christ, in your life, you are in Christ in your death. Just as you are safe, we like to say with two S's, significant and secure and accepted and forgiven and empowered during your life, so you are significant and you are secure and you are accepted and you are forgiven and you are empowered in your death. You pass from death to life, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, one of these days, if you have your memorial service here, your body is, we usually put the body right here. Here's the casket. And when I do a, a service, I do three things. I like to talk about the honor the person's life and the things that God has allowed them to do. Tell their spiritual story and share the gospel. And when I do that, I meet with the family. And so we go over all the, tell me some stories about your mom or dad or, or sometimes son or daughter. 
tell me about a time, tell me about their spiritual journey. Tell me about the time they trusted in Christ. Man, I tell you what, it's a killer to be in those meetings when a person has not heard a clear salvation profession from their mom or their dad or their friend or their son or daughter. We can't say for sure, you know, and you can see their minds like, you know, they, they were like this really good person. I saw them read their Bible sometimes and they're grasping. They're grasping for that certainty, that hope to know that their loved one has passed from death to life. Parents, don't do that to your children. Let them know. Tell them this Christmas. I want you to know I love Jesus. I am not perfect. And you get to see that like up close and personal. But I trusted in Jesus Christ, and here's how it happened. And here's what he's done to my life. And I want you to know that because I want you to know that when I die, I'm going to be with him. I am going to be in the presence of God. I'll be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Don't you want your friends and family to know that? And they're not going to know it unless you tell them. And it kills me when the only stories we hear at a memorial service is, man, really good at bridge. Swung a mean golf club. And we loved all those trips to Disney World. But they can't say, here's what I know today. My mom or my dad, my son or my daughter, my brother or my sister, I know right now because of their trust in Jesus Christ, they are absent from this body, but they are right now present with the Lord. First, you've got to make sure. But share that with those in your family. You see, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. So Paul addresses what's going to happen to those who have died when Christ returns. What about those who are still alive? Well, look at chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, verse 17. Paul says to the Thessalonians, don't worry about the, those who have died. They get, they get first, they go to the front of the line. They get a privileged position. The dead in Christ rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up means it's a forceful word, to take away, to snatch, to seize. It's the Greek word harpazo. We get our English word from the Latin word. Anyone know? Rapture. We are raptured into the presence of God. And we will be with the Lord forever. So now we have the saints risen from the dead. Their bodies are resurrected bodies, are with the Lord. They meet the Lord in the air. After that, we'll be caught up 
and together we will be with the Lord forever. What's going to happen is there's going to be seven years on earth, the end times, you look in Revelation and Daniel and different things, we've done a whole series on Revelation, seven years of tribulation. And then after those seven years of tribulation, Christ is going to return. And then we believe he's going to set up a millennial kingdom for a thousand years. And then after that, there's going to be a judgment and then eternity, right? So you got seven years of tribulation, his return, his establishment for a thousand years on earth of millennial kingdom, and then after that, a judgment. We believe, historically at our church, that what we've talked about today takes place before the tribulation, that Christ comes down, and what's, what's it say? He doesn't, doesn't say he's going to come all the way down to earth, does it? It says he's going to come down, and we are going to meet the Lord in the air, and then we'll forever be with the Lord. We will not go through the tribulation. We believe that's going to happen before the tribulation, pre-trib, we call it, Okay? Now, some people believe the rapture is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. Some people believe it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. Some people believe that that's the same as the coming of Christ the second time. Here's the deal. There are a lot of different, there's a lot of different thinking on that. And I got my beliefs and you may have yours, but at the end of the day, Jesus is coming back. And if I believe he's coming at the beginning of the tribulation and you think he's coming in the middle and you're right, I promise you in the middle of the tribulation, you're not going to say, ha, 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 I was right. (laughs) It's not going to matter. Here's what we know. We're going to live forever with him. Who cares who's right? We just need to be ready. Are you? Do you know for certain that if you close your eyes in death right now, you would wake up and see Christ face to face, absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. Do you know that? Can you say that? I know that. It's not 99.9% sure. I know for certain because of who Christ is, because of what he did. He died for me on the cross. He rose from the dead. I've trusted in his work alone, plus nothing else absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what you have to know. That gives us the freedom to live a life that pleases God now. I want to talk to you young people for a while. By the way, we love you guys being back from college. It's one of my favorite times of the year, this period of time when you're here. And some of you are saying, you know what? I got my whole life to get that straight. And I'm busy now in college. I got my studies. I just started a job. I'm working like crazy. I'll get that spiritual stuff later on. I wish you had that guarantee. I wish everyone lived to old age. But I don't care if you're 15 or 25 or 35 or 55 or 65 or 75 or 105. We have no guarantee. This is something you got to get settled today. Today is the day of salvation. And I'm asking you, if you don't know for sure, that today before you leave, you settle in your heart. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't even know what the next minute holds. But I know this, 
if I would die right now, I am at home in heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Will you settle that today? Before I give you the opportunity to do that, those here who know that with certainty, we're going to take communion. And we're going to take a time to thank God for sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on a cross. You see, the only reason we can have that certainty is because, because of what Jesus has done for us. And we want to remember that. And we want to be thankful for what he's done. So we're going to pass out in a second uh, the bread and the cup. You'll just take two cups, hold it, and one of the elders will come and lead you in that time. But just make certain that you take this time to thank Christ for what he's done. If you've not trusted in Christ, let the bread and the cup pass. This is for believers only. This is a special time for believers. But instead, in letting that pass, take that time to deal with eternal issues. Take, we're not talking about Christmas shopping today, right? We're not talking about who's going to win the game at 425. We're talking about eternal issues. Take that time to deal with your heart and ask God to reveal himself to you. And our prayer is that today is the day you trust in him. Believers, we're celebrating. If you're not a believer, let it pass and just open your heart before God. See what he tells you today.